Now, Yeshua said that when he returns, when, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? And I said, she's right back there in the corner. She's right there. She's right, honey. No, when, when he returns, will he find, will he find faith? And, and you know, that, that's a good question. If you go through that passage where Yeshua says that, you see, he never really truly answers it. Something for us to think, something for us to consider. You know, are we being faithful? Are we doing what he asked us to do? Are we, you know, he said, occupy till he comes, right? Are we doing what we've been asked to do? Stay the course. You have a lot of things out here on a day-to-day basis that are vying for your attention. And, you know, it can get loud out there, can it? You know, people trying to get your attention and trying to pull you away and trying to distract you and, 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 and things that you should be paying attention to. And Yahweh simply says, here's my word. Read it. I want you to pray. I want you to have a relationship with me. But the world is screaming louder. So what voices do we listen to? You know, we have to discern what we're doing here. And that's one of the things that we are going to talk a little bit about today. I want to touch a little more in Parsha Kitisa. Kitisa is uh, the Parsha for the week. And, and there's a lot that's in it, really. It's packed full of a lot of stuff, which we'll cover it. But you have uh, the half shekel, you have the golden calf, you've got the tablets. I mean, all this coming together, all in one Parsha, man, there's so much in here. If you broke it down, we could spend a lot of time, but I've got you just for an hour. We're going we're gonna to make the most of it. So we're going to talk about that today. Silver, gold, and stone, what they represent and how we see them in Scripture. Okay, uh, If we go through, it's like I said, in this Parsha, we can relate these to us, which is the, the goal, to have the Word written on our heart so that we can live as the Father has asked us to live, so that we can be in relationship with Him and to be kingdom-minded, kingdom people, you know, helping to build his people here. You know, he wants his presence here on earth, but he wants to do that through you, you know, because we carry, so we've got to show that forth. That's right. How do we do that? What are we looking at? Right? That's vital. You may have heard this way. You become like what you behold, right? That's a paraphrase, but that, that's, that's, it's true. Where you spend your time, your focus, your intent, your energy, your effort, you start to take on those characteristics. Why do you think that it's so vital that we spend time with the father? We spend time with his word, that we spend time in prayer because that changes. That's how we get it in us, right? Okay, so you ready to jump into some of this? I've got a lot of scripture for you today. I'm going to try to go through this pretty quick. If you're writing down, it might be better just to take a picture with your phone, you know, <laughs> so we can go through that. All right, if you're watching online, you can do screenshots. So the first thing we're going to talk about, we have silver, gold, and stone. Now you see the representations I have up here as well. But the first one we're going to talk about is silver, okay? In the scripture, you may have heard about the half shekels. Right? We'll talk about those in a second, but one thing I want to point out is in Scripture, in the biblical times, a shekel wasn't a dollar bill. You know, it wasn't a bill of value. It was a weight of measure. Okay? So that was something that was given. It was a weight that was given. Now, a shekel of silver was a certain weight of silver. Things. We'll address that here in a second. What is the goal here of, of, of the silver and the half shekel and what was going on? when Yahweh gave this instruction. So there's some different things to look at here. First off, silver in the scripture can represent refining, can represent redeeming, can represent atonement. There's different things that we can find in relationship to silver in the scripture. Not going into all of them, but you know, you're free to study too, right? (laughs) So we're getting on this together. What does this represent here is what we're looking at. Well, Zechariah 13.9 says, I will put this uh, third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name and I will answer them. And then I will say, they are my people, and they will say, Yahweh is my God. Malachi 3.3 says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to 
Yahweh. So we see that there's a connection here we see with silver being refined and uh, being purified and also a redemption price that's given as well. More of that in just a second. What we find happening when this instruction was given, if we look at Sinai, what was going on, we find that the, the half shekel was given as a means of atonement. Okay, now I'm not talking about you know, blood spilling atonement. I'm talking about something that is a protection, a redemption, and a covering for you. This is what, what this was given. Okay, what was happening is the people of Israel needed to understand and know it is Yahweh that protects and He is with them. They do this by starting to draw together with a focal point. Now here's the thing, when the tabernacle was being built, the focal point of, of what was going on wasn't just the tabernacle. It was we build a tabernacle so Yahweh can dwell among us. Of course, we understand knowing his, but Him dwelling among us doesn't just mean like next door. It literally means within you. Okay? It's a representation of what is happening to you when Yahweh lives. So here, the focal point of this is preparing ourselves and preparing a place where Yahweh will dwell with. All right? So this is what's going on. So there's an atonement that is given beyond us. What I mean by that is atonement wasn't just for you. Because we have here an example of it being on a national level, which we also know that Yeshua came and he helped to provide atonement for who? How about whosoever will? <laughs> right? So here we have an atonement being given. So we search uh, to connect to Yah, but what happens? How do we connect with people? It's easy to, to bring a connection to Yahweh, isn't it? You just say, you know, turn your heart towards him and, and however you want to start a prayer, guess what? You're there. You know, he says, if you call out for me, I am there. Turn yourself to the Father. He's there. Okay? It's a little harder to connect with people, isn't it? Absolutely. But why do you think it's so important that we do? Because we need to understand we are part of a body, part of a people that are redeemed. Okay? That's how Yahweh has, has called us throughout all time. He, like the people of Israel. Am Israel high, right? It's not like, hey, there's Bob and then the rest of everybody else or whatever, right? No, it's a people set apart to him. Now, individually, we're redeemed and we have a personal relationship with him. But that also puts on us a responsibility as a covenant in that way. All right, so what's going on here? So Moshe was on the mountain. The people got anxious. How many of you ever get anxious? Why are you laughing? Yeah, it's real, isn't it? So you get anxious, and what happens when you start getting anxious? You, you start making some bad moves, don't you? Yeah, you, you, you start jumping the gun. It's like, okay, Yahweh says, you know, to wait for him and to do this, but kind of like gritting my teeth and, and wanting to do something, right? And so it, this, we get anxious, and this is what happened at the mountain, guys. The people got anxious, and, and what did they do? They desired to see what was going on in their timetable. You know, when Moshe went up to the mountain, he did not tell them, I'm only going to be up there 40 days. You know how long he said he was going to be up there? He didn't. <laughs> he says, I'm going up on the mountain to speak with Yahweh. If anything happens, you have Aaron and Hur go to them. He never said, I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> you don't know. So what happened is that the people got anxious. They did not see what was happening in their midst. And as you read, uh, we'll read in the scripture here later, it says, and the man Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. Like, we don't know if he's dead or alive or what's going on. But here's the point. Did that change the fact that Yahweh was still on the mountain? Did it change the fact that he was still there? The cloud was still there? I assume the thunder and the lightning was still there too, right? I mean, the, he was still there. It's like, we don't know what happened to Moses, but Yah was still there. So does that change anything for them? No. No, it's like, we don't know what happened to Moses. And so because of uncertainty, because we don't know what's going on, they misstep. They step into some other things. That's led to making the golden calf. Again, more on that in a minute. But the answer to being connected here was given before the golden calf took place. And we see that here, the half shekel. 
The half shekel gives us an answer in there, being, helping to be connected to one another and to help see our connection with one another in the presence of Yahweh for his purposes, not our own. It was given before the golden calf was given by Yahweh. So let's read Exodus 30. If you look at verses 11 through 16, this is some of the things that we read, looking at 11 and 12 right here. Yahweh says to Moshe, when you take the census of the people of Israel, that taking the census is kitisas, to elevate or to lift up the people, right? So when you take the census of the people of Israel, uh, then each shall give a ransom for his life. That word there, ransom, is translated as kofar, atonement, a price, a redemption. Shall give a ransom for his life to Yahweh when you number them, that there will be no plague among them when you number them. Again, that word is kofar. It is the word that's used there for atonement as well as a redemption price. Okay, So atonement is a little more beyond what we've attributed to. And often we say atonement is relation to forgiveness of sins, and that's not really the same thing. There, there are two different things. Atonement is to cover something over, a protection, a safety. Interesting that the word, like uh, Noah, when he built the ark, he covered it with, some translations say pitch. It's the word kofar. It's the same word. Okay, he, covered, he covered it with something. It was a protection. It was a safety. It was given there. So here we read about the half shekel that atonement was given to stop the plague that would come after a census. Why would there be a plague after the census? <gasps> I don't know. How's that for a straight answer? We could speculate. We could throw a lot of ideas out there, but we, we're not given a specific, exact, direct thing as far as saying. Uh, one of the things is most often when people are, are given a census and numbered in the scripture, or even nowadays, what's it for? For the government, for military power, for control. If I, if I go to war with another nation, I need to know how many people I got that I can draft. I need to know how strong my army is. I need to know how many people I have. So the logistics of it, how much food am I going to need to feed them? Where can we go? What, how big of an army can we go against? What's going on? So generally, uh, people were given the census in that way to figure out their kingdom. And Yahweh's like, it's my kingdom, not yours. All right? So this is what it was given for. So when there was a census taken, there was a certain ways it was given that kept the focus spiritual. Okay? Not man's kingdom. It kept the focus on spiritual things. Okay? So here we have atonement. It's a covering, it's a, it's a ritual covering and atonement is not only forgiveness, it is a protection, what we're looking at. So what was it given for? The half shekel, what was it given for? It was, it was given for age 20 and up. Ideally, this is what we're looking at. It was a soldier's, uh, a soldier's thing. Okay, Numbers 10, verse 9 says, So if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, you shall blow the alarm with the silver trumpet, and, uh, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, Yahweh your God is he that goes before you who will fight against your enemies to save you. So again, the silver is supposed to help bring a remembrance, a memorial, and a reminder of atonement that it is Yah who covers us, and that none of us, when we have a task at hand, when we have something to do, none of us is any more important or less important than anybody else. And that's one of the things that's kind of hard for some people to see, but it is a fact. In the kingdom of Yahweh, no one's more important. No one's less important. We're the people of Yahweh. We may have different roles and different functions in the body, but that's just doing what we're supposed to do, right? You can't say, okay, we have the body, but we don't need all these different parts. We start slicing and dicing the body, we're not going to have a body. Okay, so and the body's not going to live. So we need the body to function and work together as it's supposed to, or else something's going to be off. Period. Right. So we need to have those functions and learn, learning walk together in that. Exodus thirty, verse thirteen. So each one who is numbered in the census shall give this a half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty geras. Half a shekel as an offering to Yahweh. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give Yahweh's offering. See that? It's Yahweh's offering, but he says you give it as, a, as an atonement for you. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less. 
and then the half shekel when you give Yahweh's offering to make an atonement for your life. So what we have here is a reminder, if you're rich and you want to give more, this isn't the place to do it. Not saying you can't, this isn't the place to do it though. As far as the half shekel goes, everyone gave the same because of its purpose. Again, the focus, the spiritual mindedness of it, that was the point. If you can give more, great, but that doesn't change the half shekel because it was used for specific things, and there was a, a purpose in it. We'll cover it. So the silver represents atonement. The silver they collected was used for what? It was used to make the sockets and the rings for the Mishkan. Think about that. The silver that they got was used to make the sockets and the rings for the Mishkan, to hold the planks together and to hold the curtains together. It was the silver that helped hold all the pieces and parts together. What does that tell us? What does that teach us? that it was no, no more, no man gave more, no man gave less. When it came to this aspect of it, if you had a part in building the tabernacle or not, every person of Israel was to give a half shekel. Why? Because that way, every person of Israel had a part in holding together a place for Yahweh to dwell, and a place that would travel with them, and a place that would go where they went, and a place where his presence was, a place where they could look to him and meet him there. Again, of course, to teach us that he is within us, but we got to learn somehow, right? And so when we looked at that, we saw not, I did that. See, that socket right there, number 34, that one right over there, that's my socket. Wrong! They took them all, they melted them all together, and they all fashioned and did all this together so that we can say those sockets. We all had a role to play in that. If any one of us is, is missing in that, the strength of holding that is going to fall. So we truly all come together. We truly all need to be a place of, and being together, we need each other. So all the pieces represent all the people. And when the people are all together, they hold together a place for Yahweh. to. When we come together, we need to lift up Yahweh. When we come together, we need to lift up his name. We need to hold within us, among us, a place for him to dwell. Yeshua says where two or more are gathered, right? So when we gather together, are we building his kingdom? Are we building his tabernacle? Are we talking about those things that keep us centered on holding together. That's where, that's where we should be focused. So uh, continuing in, verse 16. So you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting and that I bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. So again, so what happens after these things were built? Then it's also the money here that was used for the daily offerings that were given in, in the temple and in the tabernacle. You know how many offerings they did on a daily basis? A lot beyond the, the, in the morning and in the evening, the Tamid offerings that were put in the morning and the evening, right? There were offerings all throughout, especially on the Moedim, the different times. I mean, there was a lot going on here. Well, they had to get this from somewhere, right? So this helped cover that, cover those expenses. So regarding the half shekel. So the half shekel was used for the service of the Mishkan and for the continuing service of the temple when it was there as well. I hate to use this terminology, but we would put this like a tax. <laughs> that's not really the best way to put it, but that's how we would understand it, right? It was the same for everybody. No, no one gave more, no one gave less. This is what it was given for. Uh, the atonement was the same for all people. Think about that for a second. It's not like, well, here we are. I, I, I'm going to give more silver because I'm rich and I can do it. Wrong. Your atonement price was the same as anyone else in, in there. Or it's not a matter of, well, I just feel like I'm a really, really bad person. I need to give more. Wrong. Each person gave the half shot. See, there, there's no other way around it. There's no room for pride. There's no room for uh, uh, self-loathing. There's no room for any of that. It's all, we are all equal in the presence of Yahweh. We all have the same. When it comes to atonement, it didn't cost more for Yeshua to die for you than it did the person next to you. We are all the same. So here we are. It was all for all of us. So each of us on ourselves is a half. When we've all put everything together, we show, in other words, we're all just a, we're all just a piece of the puzzle. 
So we need to come together for the purpose of the kingdom and let our half be a whole. That's why. It says that it is a memorial unto the children of Israel before Yahweh to make an atonement for your souls. What is the word for memorial? Zakar. Zakar. Zakar, it means a memorial. Literally, it means to remember something in the scripture doesn't mean he forgot. You know, it's not like a memorial like we say today. You know, a memorial in the scripture means to act upon, right? So when, when Yahweh says that he heard or he remembered, doesn't mean he forgot. It means he will now act upon something, whatever the context. Example, the time came when the people were in Mitzrayim, and Yahweh says it is now time that I, he heard and remembered the people of Israel. doesn't mean he forgot them. He meant now was the time for your deliverance to come. So I will now act on what I have said to okay, So their memorial, all right? So this was used for the service of the Mishkan. So this was used for worship before Yahweh. Again, why a memorial? Because we see in Exodus 34, 23, three times in a year, all your men shall appear before uh, the Lord God, the God of Israel. This is a zakhar. This is a remembrance. This is what we see here. This is a remembrance. One is to be remembered before Yahweh, a memorial, alluding to ones that are atoned for, ones that are brought before him and given atonement. Therefore, we can stand in his presence. We can come before him because he has provided atonement for us. But to receive that atonement, we have to submit ourselves to. Okay, so all those coming together before Yahweh to worship him as one entity, one people. Okay, what about gold? What do we see in gold in this parsha? Gold calf, right? So what happened here? How did this come, come about? Exodus 32, we uh, look at verses 1 through 5 is what we're looking at here. So when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people did what? Gathered themselves together. Is it, it, are we supposed to come together? Are we supposed to be in a place of unity? Uh, what if our hearts are not for the right thing? That's why scripture also tells us don't go with the majority when they're off to pervert justice, <laughs> right? So here we have this. So they gathered themselves together to Aaron and they, sell, they told Aaron, up, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Wow. So we see, is there a gathering together that's not good? So what we see here, the word is kahal. That was used there. It is a assembling together, a gathering together, a congregating together, a multitude that was coming together. And in Exodus 23, 2, we see, don't follow the crowd when it does what is wrong because they don't allow the popular view to sway you and offering testimony for any cause if the effect will be to pervert. Again, so they were gathering together a kahal and assembly as, as one people for the sake of idolatry, for the sake of pursuing their own ideas and their own thoughts, their own hearts, right? So if the people gather themselves together to Aaron, and what did they say first? Kum, up. You may have heard, this is not a suggestion, the way this is written. This is kum. This is, they came, and it's like they ran into his tent and dragged him out of his bed. Get up. We want to talk to you, okay? This is what we're looking at. It's like, kum, up. We expect something from you. Get up. And why did he do it? We're not told ex explicitly why he so easily gave in, but there is, there is a, a Midrash and people talk about it. It's like, why didn't they go to Hur? You notice we never hear, it, it, Moses says, go to Aaron and Hur. We don't hear about Hur. What happened to him? Where did he go? So the speculation is the people did go to Hur. And he said no, and they killed him. So then they go to Aaron. Aaron's like, huh, okay. I don't know, guys, honestly, I don't know. But I do find it interesting that we don't hear about Hur anymore. After Moses mentions, which I would think this sin of the golden calf, Hur would jump in with Aaron and like, guys, come on, right? I don't know. So what happens? He says, make us gods to go before us. They say, make us Elohim that goes before us. Now, I don't think the people actually thought that, that what was going to be made was actually Yahweh. 
Okay, but what they were looking for more so was a representation of Yahweh that they could see with their own eyes. We never fall into that trap, do we? You know, like, well, I don't believe it till I see it. All right, Thomas. We see we have to learn to have, we have to be able to, to have faith without. So they say, get up and ask for this Moses, the man. Notice how they put him in here. You know, Moses, the man, he's just a man. There's nothing special about this guy, which if you asked Moses, he would have said the same. But again, put this in the context of what's being said here. That Moses, this man, we don't know what's happened to him. He went up on a mountain and he could be dead for all we know. We don't know where he went or what's going on, right? Like, we don't know. Moses, who brought us out of the, brought us the land of Egypt, uh-huh, see that? Moses, who brought us out, who by listening to him, we were brought out, is, is the way it put. Because we listened to Moses, we were brought out. And notice sometimes they say that in a good context and sometimes they say that in a negative context. Moses, you freed us, you brought us out, yay, where's the water at? Right? And just that quick. They're like, wow. And then every time they were disgruntled, they went to talk about, but who were they really following? See, they were following the cloud. They were following the fire. They were following the pillar. They were following Yahweh. Moses was just at the head of the line. Okay? They were following Yahweh, literally. But they don't want to blame Yahweh, so they blame Moses, right? So what's going on here? It says, we don't know what's become of him. Literally says, uh, we, we don't know. Because this man Moses, we don't know. It kind of leaves it a little more open-ended. But that's what was going on being said. So going on, Exodus 32. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that, and, that are in the, ears and your, and, uh, in the ears of your wives and sons and daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of the gold that were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a, with a uh, graving tool. And he made the golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and went to Aaron. Well, first off, notice who made the declaration. Did Aaron make that declaration? No, the people said, these are your Elohim. Right? Again, I don't believe they actually thought this was Elohim because they just made it. Right? But I believe they were looking for a representation that they can put on this attribute, which is still wrong and still idolatry. So these are your Elohim. And Aaron kind of took it a step further, though. I mean, that was bad enough. What did Aaron do? He stood in front of it and said, so uh, verse 5, So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. Hag to Yahweh. This is put in the same category as like the three festivals that, the, that you're supposed to go to Jerusalem for. This is bad. And they're like, we built an altar before this golden calf. Said so tomorrow we're going to have a feast to Yahweh in front of this golden calf. Wow. Hmm. And again, just, just to kind of show what was going on here. Okay, when it says they gave, they gave the gold to Aaron and he fashioned it, it's the same word, Yotzer, the same word that's used in Genesis 6.5 when it says that, uh, that, that God saw the imagination of, of the heart of every man. This word, Yotzer, is more, better interpreted as inclination. It can use imagination. It can be that way, but it's more, off, more better to put inclination. I am inclined to evil is the way the scriptures. Given the choice of good or evil, you're going to pick evil. Right? Given the choice of two roads, this is what you're going to do every time because that's your nature. That's how you identify yourself. That's who you are. That's, so this is more along the lines of what it's given here. So this is the same word that's being used when it says he fashioned the golden calf. He fashioned and formed it according to their evil desires, right? And then Moses came down, looked at Aaron and said, what are you doing? He's like, I just threw it in the fire, right? It's like aliens. <laughs> so the word for golden calf. Golden calf is ego mesecha. Egel mesecha. Egel is a word that's used there for calf, and mesecha is it's used there for fashioning. So egel is calf, but egel, it's also the same as the word agol, spelled exactly the same way for round, circular, or paths, okay? Cycles. So picture this. They want a representation walking away from God's path, walking their own. So this would be linguistically a representation. 
Uh, and isn't that what Yahweh told Moshe? Your people have departed from the paths that I see that. So the Egel is this word. That, so they're, they're walking away from their own and walking, or sorry, walking away from what Yahweh is giving and trying to walk their own path. Heard this many times in your former lives. I'm going to do my own way, right? Isn't that the idea of Sitziot? That when we look, we see that, it's, that we don't follow our own eyes and thoughts and actions. We follow Yahweh. Okay, so again, Mesachah. Masachah is the word that's used there for molten, but it's also the word for a veil, also the word for a covering. So what we have here is cycles of their own covering. They veiled themselves by making this golden calf. They blinded themselves to the presence of Yahweh because they wanted to see what they were making right in front of them. They fashioned their idea of the God they wanted to serve and put that in front of them. Wow, big stuff, isn't it? So by, they blinded themselves by putting their own veil of their own making over them. Interesting in the scripture as well is that before and after the golden calf, we have a command to keep Shabbat. Before and after the sin of the golden calf, we're told to keep and honor Shabbat. Why? Because the Shabbat will teach us to stop pursuing your own ways, your own things, and pursue what Yahweh is giving us as value. It's part of the reason why a lot of people don't honor Shabbat is because they don't see value in it. Caught up in the ways of the world, I got to work. If I don't, I mean, guys, I, I used to do construction work. I got paid by what I did. I didn't get paid by the hour or whatever. If I didn't work, I didn't get paid. Do you know what I did? Worked a lot. Got to make amends somehow, right? But Yahweh said, stop. There's more value in keeping Shabbat than there is in trying to build. That's what we see here. Shabbat, we stop putting the price of things and focus on the value of what was given up. We stop pursuing our own desires and we pursue his. See, it's a change of heart, complete change of heart. That when we come to him, the bookcase, if we are keeping Shabbat, if we are seeking his will, if we are seeking his ideas, his heart, his ways, we will not make a golden calf. Because it's not about who we think God is, it's about who he says he is. And we're going to follow that. We're going to honor him. So speaking of issues of the heart, let's go to stone. What about hearts? Well, interesting we see some things in here because the stone that we see in this parsha is the tablets of stone, right? But I submit to you, they represent your heart. They represent you. They represent, as Yahweh was to giving the word, he intended it to be written within you, engraved into your heart. But he had to show it to us first, right? <laughs> the problem is, how do we get it from over there to in here? We want to keep it over there on the stone. We don't want it in here. If we get it in here, some, sometimes that just, well, if, if I receive the word in here, then that's going to convict me when I want to do things that, I, yes, <laughs> that's the idea that we keep his, let's, let's, let's look at it. So the stone, Exodus 32, 15 and 19. So Moses turned and he went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony, the two tables of the testimony were in his hand and the tables were written on both sides and on the one side and on the other were they written. And you ever noticed that before, by the way, when it says they were written on both sides, it's, we always get the depiction of it was two tablets and written on one side in Roman numerals, right? <laughs> it's like, no, they were written on both sides. And I doubt it was. So here they are. And so they come down. And what's going on, the two tables written on both sides, on one side and on the other, they were written, verse 16, and the tables were the work of God. The tables were the work of whom? Your Elohim, right? And the writing was, who's writing? Yahweh's writing, right? Personally, I believe it was Yeshua that wrote them, right? So here we are, this. So the writing, graven on the tablets. And Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. He said, there's a noise of war in the camp. And Moses says, that's not war, that's a rave. There's problems there, Right? But it shows you just how bad and how loud things were. Things were getting out of control. Verse 18. And he said, It's not the voice of them that shout for mastery, 
Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that, be, of, that, of that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands, and he broke the mountain. So these first tablets that Yahweh gave, that Yahweh wrote on, Moses broke them. You know, at the mountain, I'm not going into all this today, but we've covered it before. Many of you know this. You may or may not have heard. Uh, I believe that, the, that at the mountain, it fit a wedding ceremony fit a betrothal, okay? And so the ketubah, the vows, if you will, the agreements that's written for the marriage would have been the tablets. Moses would have been the best man, right? He comes down, he sees that the bride has already started off, started off by serving another husband. You know, that's what the word Baal means. Baal means, uh, depending on the translation, it can be Lord, it can be master, it can be husband, depending on the translation, what's following the context. So Israel said, we are betrothed to Yahweh, we will honor you, we will, be, we will say, we will hear, we will be obedient, yes, we will do all these great things. It's been 40 days, what's going on? I don't know, well, let's find another husband. That's what happened. And so Moses broke the ketubah because of the unfaithfulness. But then what happens? And again, not to go into this here today, but if you go on and you, and you read further here, and then you read in uh, Numbers as well, you see that uh, he, Israel took the test for the unfaithful bride. So anyway, moving on here. So let's talk about this for the tablets and what was going on here. Hebrews 8, 7, and 12. Before we read this, there's something I want to point out. When we read in Hebrews, it says there was a fault with the covenant. Where was the fault with the covenant? It says in the first covenant, there was fault. What was the fault? Was Yahweh at fault? Not at all. What was the fault? It was the people. It was the people. The fault was not in Yahweh. The fault was not in the covenant. The fault was not in the words that were given. The fault was in the people who broke it before it was even brought to full circle, right? Today, we'd say before the ink was dry. Hebrews 8, 7. For if the first commandment had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. See that? So what happened? For finding fault with who? With what? Them. Not the covenant. Not the words. Not the tablets. Finding fault with the people. He said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jesus. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day which I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. He didn't say, because I just messed up and made it a little too he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, well, I guess I just had too high of an expectation on them. I need to lower my expectations of righteousness. He didn't say that, did he? No. So where was the fault with the people? Because the heart of the people weren't fully vested, even though they professed with their mouth. So they can, because they continued not in my covenant, I regarded them not, says the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my what? In their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them... God and they shall be to me and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord why for all will know him are we there yet no because we don't all know him yet right but we're getting there verse 12 for I will be merciful to the unrighteous or I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more does this sound familiar to anyone yeah Jeremiah right Jeremiah 31 uh, verse 31, Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Interesting that this new covenant we find in the Torah, in the Tanakh, right? This new covenant we find in what we're told is the old covenant. But notice the, the difference here. Did he change the words of the covenant? Did he change the, the righteousness of the covenant? Did he change his expectation of holiness? No. What did he change? The method of delivery. What was once written on the tablets of stone are now going to be written on your heart. That's where we make it perfect. That's where it goes beyond, yeah, I have a Bible. It's somewhere to where I have the word. I read my, we have it. And continued. Verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahweh. Notice with whom, by the way? 
And I will put my law in their inward parts and write it on their hearts and they will be my God and, or, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, No, Yahweh, for all will know me from the least of them to the great. Didn't I just read this? Yeah, where? Oh, yeah, Hebrews. Quoting. So we have the tablets and we're talking about this new covenant. But where is this new covenant supposed to be written? What's the context of this? It is the second set of tablets. Because what happens with the tablets? Well, Moses broke the tablets, right? So God says, that's it. I'm out of here. You're not going to get any more words from me? No. He told Moses, you bring me your tablets, just like the first, and I will write on those. There's a lot to be said for this. Let's explore that for a minute. Hold on. We tend to not value or appreciate the things that are done. For Think about that. We tend to not value or appreciate the things that are done for us. You value what you fight for and have to work to. Someone can hand you things and you don't, you don't put much value in it. You don't really truly care for something that was handed to you. You care for something that you worked for, which is why a lot of us like, I'm not buying your car, kid. Go buy your own, right? <laughs> Words of Dave. <laughs> so here's the thing. We learn a lesson or we learn value of something when we have direct involvement or pay the price. The people saw the glory at Mount Sinai, but they backed away. The same glory was in the Mishkan and they approached for worship. God didn't change. When he inhabited the most holy place, he didn't change who he was. He didn't change his word. But yet, when he was in the tabernacle, they, they saw him as approachable. Sinai was all Yahweh. But the Mishkan, the people built it. The people assembled. The people had to supply the needs and the supplies and the things to cause it to happen. The people wanted that. They were ready for that. They weren't ready. They were ready for the tabernacle. So God told them he's going to build the tabernacle. 2 Samuel 24, 24. The king says uh, to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to Yahweh my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels. See that? When, they, when he went to go make offerings there. And, and, and I mean, think about that. If the king, I know we don't have king, but if the king came to you and says, I want to make an offering on your property to the Lord that we serve, you would be like, wow whatever I can give you, whatever I can have, whatever is done. I mean, I've got, you know, all these things here, right? Whatever I can give you to make an offering to Yahweh, to glorify God in our midst, take what you need, do it. And David's like, I'm not going to offer. It's easy for me to make offerings and sacrifices from somebody else's pocketbook. Think about that. That's what David's telling this. Guy. I'm not going to make an offering to God based on you. You want to make an offering to Yahweh, you do it. I'm going to make an offering. I'll pay you for it. Exodus 34. Or I'm sorry. <clears throat> so Yahweh gave the tablets to Moshe and he broke them. It was the ketubah of the covenant. Now Yahweh says, you bring me your tablet and I'll write on those. That's exactly what he said. The first tablets I cut, I, f I made them, I cut them, I wrote on them. Now you go cut your own tablet, just like the first ones, and you bring me them and I will write on those. The idea here is you bring me what you have. I will write mine. How do we come to him? Same way, right? Second Corinthians 3.3. 3. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Messiah ministered by us, written not with ink, but what? The spirit of the living God, not in tablets of stone, but in what? Fleshy tables. That's the idea. The tablets represent the heart. They're, they are what the word is written on. Okay? Now, Exodus 34. He always says to Moshe, cut for yourself two tables of stone like the first. He didn't say, you're going to cut me two tablets. Don't, don't skimp on them now. On them exactly like the ones that I gave you. <laughs> right? He had to go cut them and you bring me those. And then I will write on the tablets, the words that were on the first tablets that you broke. So is he going to change the word that he's writing on these tablets? Not at all. Right. And he reminds them, 
you broke them, but I'm going to write the same words. Okay, so he didn't change his word when he gave them back. Again, here's a side note. The word for tablets is luach. Luach, which is, by the way, the, also the same word for calendar. Interesting, isn't it? The word luach is a calendar like the tables of the heart. So his word written on our heart should follow his timetable. Why do you think, again, throw this in the context of the book, Casing the Golden Calf with Shabbat. Proverbs 7, 1 through 3. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them upon the fingers. Write them where? On the table of your heart. So the second set of tablets. What was the deal with them? Exodus 34. So Yahweh says to Moshe, you two uh, st- tables of stone like unto the first. I will write on these tables your heart, the words that were in the first tables which you broke. So I will write on these tables. The word for write, the word write is ketav, ketav in the Hebrew, which literally means to engrave, to scrape, or to dig. If, you, if and when Yahweh wrote the words on stone, did he pull out his ballpoint pen? No. When you wrote something back then, how did you do it? Especially in stone, how'd you do it? You chiseled it. And when you chisel, you are engraving in something. You are digging out from something to pull it out to be there. So you are engraving in there. So he says that when we come to him, he is engraving his word on our hearts. In other words, removing the things from our hearts that don't need to be there, that when it is removed, reveals his word. See that? When he's done engraving, it's his word. That's, and that's what we see. The, the, the hearts that were stone are now hearts that are going to be soft toward you. Hearts of, the words of the covenant, Deuteronomy 9, 10. So Yahweh delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. Interesting there. And, uh, and on them was written according to all the words which Yahweh spoke with you in the mountain out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, Yahweh gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. So again, he engraved with his word and the word being brought back to the people of Yahweh and back to be in his presence. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20 says, I will give them one heart. Whose heart? His heart. I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Whose spirit? His. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give you a heart of flesh that they may. What is the purpose? He didn't say, I'm going to take out the heart of stone and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh and I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can walk contrary to me. He said, I'm going to do this so that you'll walk with me. See that? I'm going to give you, equip you with my presence, my Holy Spirit, so that you will walk. That's what he says. That they may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances, and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Same in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Notice how much we've, we've heard that a lot today. It's a reciprocal relationship. It's not like we surrender everything we have and we get nothing. We surrender ourselves to him and we get everything. It's pretty one-sided if you ask me. Because I have a lot less to offer him than he has to offer me. Jeremiah 31, 33, we read this. This shall be the covenant that I make. What is it? I will put literally my Torah, my Torah in their inward, inward parts. And I will ketav, I will write it in their hearts. And then will be their God so Isaiah 8, 13 to 16. Sanctify Yahweh himself and let him be your fear and your dread. And he, shall be for your, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a jinn and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. But look at the next verse, 16. Bind up the testimony, seal my Torah 
among my disciples. See that? Are we disciples of Yahweh? Are we disciples of Yeshua? As a disciple of him, we should have his Torah sealed up among us. But this again, there's this word among. There's this word among. And then we have a disciple. The word for a disciple is, is uh, lamad, means to learn. It's the same word for a disciple. Talmidin, lamad, is the same word. So here it says, to seal up my law. And uh, here so I can read it. It's blimudai. The word is bet, and then disciples. That bet. So seal up my Torah in my disciple. Go down to verse 20, and it says, to the law and to the testament, they speak not according to this word. It's because there's no light in them. Speak according to the word of the living God, as we should. 2 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4 says, Make it clear that you, are, that you are a letter from the Messiah placed in our care, written not with ink, or, uh, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on human hearts. Such is the confidence we have through the Messiah. So what do we have here? What happens? What happens? Moses, Moses intercedes for the people of Yahweh. Now, the ones who sinned in the sin of the golden calf, 3,000, about 3,000 lost their lives that day because of this sin. But the ones who were left still allowed it to happen. And Moses interceding for the people of Israel. Go with us. I was like, you're a stiff-necked people. Moses says, yeah, I know, but go with us. We don't want to go if you don't go. If you don't come with us, what's the point? I don't want to go where you're because he wants to dwell with us. That's what we find here. Exodus uh, 33 in verses 1 through 17, not reading the whole thing, but in, in verse 3, he says, So I will not go in the midst of you, for you are stiff-necked people, lest I consume you in the way. And then the people heard these evil tidings. They mourned, and no man did put on his, on his ornaments. Verse 12, So Moses says to Yahweh, See, you say unto me, Bring up this people, and you have, have not let me know whom you, whom you will send with me. So yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. He says, I know you by name. You have found grace in my sight. And Moses says, then please come with us. Verse 13. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. I may know you and grace in your Consider this nation, your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, if your presence doesn't go here, don't let. For wherein shall it be known here that I and the people have found grace in your sight? Is it not that you go with us? So shall we be, or sorry, so shall we be separated, and I and your people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And Yahweh says to Moshe, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you. See this? Moses interceding. Yahweh says, okay, I'll go with. Talk about the importance of one person focused. Don't tell me that, that you as one person, that you as one person can't make a difference. Moses succeeded because of it. Exodus 34. So what happens next? This covenant is renewed in there. See, the, the, the tablets were broken. The second tablets are preserved. So he always says to Moshe, cut the two tablets of stone. We've already talked about this. He says, be ready in the morning. I'll come in the morning on Mount Sinai. Present yourself there at the top of the mountain, and no man shall come up with you. Neither let any man be seen throughout the mountain. Neither let the flocks nor the herds feed, feed before the mountain. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into the Mount Sinai as Yahweh commanded him. And he took in the hand two tables of stone. So what happens? So he says, if now I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And he said, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. See that? Didn't he already do that? Yes. So what is he saying? He says, I'm reaffirming this. And I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation and all the people among whom you shall see the work of Yahweh. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. 27. And Yahweh says to Moshe, write these words for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you. 
So was so he was there with Yahweh forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread or drank water, and he wrote on the tape on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses didn't know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Let me put it this way: We have there the idea of veiling and unveiling and shown being hidden. All this here, what happened when they made the golden calf? We saw that the word making the golden calf could be uh, the same as them veiling themselves to the presence of Yahweh because they wanted to see. Well, here we see a picture. Moshe went into the presence of Yahweh without him. And when he turned to the people, he put them, when he turned back. I remember Yahweh says with Moshe, it's not like any other prophet or anyone else. With him, I speak. It says face to face. Literally, it's mouth right in. Second John 1, 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his command. And this is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. What is it? We love one another. Ecclesiastes, what's, what's the bottom line? You know, leave it to Solomon, right? Bottom line kind of guy. Financials, right? Richest man, wisest. What did he say? Out of everything, after everything's said and done, I've seen it all, done it all. What's the most important thing I found in life? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. Well, so I put it this way. It's not about the mountaintop experience. Moses had the mountaintop experience, but then he had to come down into the camp and explain it to them and live among the people. We need those experiences of those times alone with the Father. But then we need to go out and show that. We need to have those experiences and take those experiences. We need to see. So do, are, we, are we putting a veil over our lives? Are we at the base of the mountain saying, this is what Yahweh is asking me to do, but I'm going to kind of do this. Are we trying to veil our own experiences in our own hearts? Or are we truly trying to seek Him? Because we seek Him, apply the Word. Scripture says we, we, we live as faces. Let's be a people to seek His because we present a people His presence within us, before us, to help change. Amen.